You're listening to the official podcast of Church Untitled, located in downtown Vancouver. We are a community set apart to bear His name, in our city, for His glory. We hope that you're blessed and enriched by this message. We've been journeying through the book of Joshua as a church, and we're going to kind of conclude that journey today with the last chapter in the book of Joshua, um, Joshua chapter 24. Some beautiful things in that. So if this is your first time in church, you're kind of coming in the tail end of something we've been preaching for quite a while. We haven't really named it a series. We've just been planted in the book of Joshua. So good to see you. Um, <laughs> and, um, and so um, we have been leading into the story of Israel because in the book of Joshua, it's very symbolic and metaphorical about metaphorical. It's, come on, let's work. Let's do this. It's, it's, it's a metaphor for following the presence of God, for us following Jesus in our lives as they followed the ark into the promised land and, and all the things that happened after that. And so we've been journeying in this idea of the promises of God in our lives and actually fulfilling them, actually stepping into the potential of God in our lives. And it's been something that's been uh, really invigorating things within me. And when we talk about promises in the kingdom of God, sometimes we as communicators or Christians sometimes are at fault of selling the story in a way that it wasn't supposed to be sold. We're convincing people, come to Jesus because your life is going to be great, right? And that, that's the truth, but we're, we're neglecting a part of that truth, right? So we, we frame it this way, that it's in your best self-interest to come to Jesus. But then Jesus turns around and he says this. He says, we can put it up here, Matthew chapter 16. Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, deny self-interest, and take up the cross and follow me. So what Jesus is saying, get your eyes off of yourself and put them on me. And so if we receive the promise of God, the path to the promises of God in our life, the path to self-interest is through self-denial. It's paved by self-denial. And this is something that we often neglect to, to place before people. We're just like, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing as you choose Jesus. And it will be. But the entrance into the amazing is through denying your self-interest, right? And this is one of the greatest tensions of the scripture. Pursuing the interests of someone else at the cost of your own. Have you sat in this before, right? So saying yes to Jesus what if it doesn't line up the way that I thought? Tension. What if I suffer? Tension. What if it's a waste of my opportunities that are in front of me right now? The world is at my doorstep and Jesus is saying, actually, don't go that way, go my way. And what if it costs me money? The deepest one to all of us, right? What if saying yes to Jesus actually costs me something in our lives? Have you felt this tension before? The pathway to self-interest is through self-denial. Let's just pray real quick as we dive in. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to move through your scriptures. We ask, Lord, that you navigate us by your spirit in this moment. Would you capture every heart in this place today and just speak as only you can, Lord Jesus. Would you use your word today through my mouth to just share your heart with us. We thank you, God, for your word and your Holy Spirit. And we give you room to do exactly what you want to do. 
In your name we pray. Amen. So the last chapter of Joshua that we were in was Joshua chapter 10, which was this amazing picture of Joshua telling the sun to stand still. This beautiful act of faith where he, he asked God to do the impossible and God did it. And how that um, is granted to us in Jesus' words, ask for whatever you wish and I will do that. But it's on the basis and the context of friendship with God, that we know his heart and we can ask whatever we want. And so Joshua chapter 10, today we're going to be in Joshua chapter 24, which means there's a ton of things that happened in between when we last talked and we're talking now. But the bulk of what happens in that, in the book of Joshua there is, Joshua takes Israel into the promised land and it says that he divided the land, meaning that each tribe of Israel got their own portion of the promise, that there was an individual promise within the greater promise. And it says this in Joshua chapter 24, verse 30. It says, and they buried him, Joshua, in the land of his inheritance. So I want to just show you this picture up here right now. It's morning service, guys. I got pictures for the first time ever. So this is the promised land. And you can see all these names, Simeon and Judah and Gad and Reuben and Manasseh, all of these names here. This is how Israel is actually divided. And so we talk about the promised land. There was a big promise for all of Israel, but there was individual promises for the specific nations of Israel. And so we see in this scripture here, Joshua 24, 30, it says, and they buried Joshua in the land of his inheritance. They're not just talking about about uh, Israel as a whole, the promised land as a whole, there was a very specific place promised for Joshua. And so what this scripture screams at me is satisfaction. It's fulfillment, that he died in the fulfillment of the promise of God in the pursuit of his life. In other words, this phrase, I can now rest in peace. He, he died in the fulfillment of the promise of God in his life, right? And a few scriptures before this, very famous passage of scripture, Joshua 24, verse 14 to 15. Joshua says this. He says this to all of Israel. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors, the ancestors your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua's saying choose. In our context that we opened up with today is choose. Are you going to serve God's purposes or are you going to serve your own? Don't waffle back and forth. Say, is it God's purposes or your? Choose this day whom you will serve. And this word choose is super important. It's really important because we often allow the circumstances of our life to choose for us. That we haven't chosen as the baseline of our life. And so when tension comes, like the tension Jesus presents, it's the fulfillment or self-satisfaction that chooses for us. It's going to be very difficult to choose in a moment of temptation to follow Jesus when it's going to cost you everything if you didn't already decide to do that in your life. This is the same tension Joshua is presenting to Israel that Jesus presented to his disciples. If you want to follow me, then choose it. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. But the tension goes deeper than this. What if the choice to follow Jesus looks like it's going to cost you something, and conversely, the choice to follow yourself looks like freedom 
success and autonomy. You can do exactly what you want. There's something beautiful that I preached, a, a, a truth that I preached a few years ago. It's this idea that in God, there's a satisfaction guarantee. But right? if you ever purchased something before, if you're not satisfied with it, if it has a guarantee, you can take it back and say that, actually, I don't want this anymore because it didn't fulfill exactly what I thought it would. But God says this, I am so secure in my promise for you that it will never fail, that there's a satisfaction guarantee attached to it, that if you choose me, it's going to be the greatest decision that you'll ever choose in your life. In other words, what can look like the worst decision you could ever make will turn out to be the greatest decision you've ever made by an infinite degree. And saying no to yourself right now is saying yes to yourself tomorrow. I don't want to say yes to Jesus right now because it's costing me so much. But the satisfaction of God says this, that if you say no right now, I guarantee that you'll be satisfied tomorrow. Denying your present temporary satisfaction is guaranteeing your future eternal satisfaction. It's a guarantee. And no matter how daunting the optics of your decision are, is the guarantee that if you choose Jesus, you will come out on top, even in death, always. And so this word promise, as we've been journeying in our context with, the, with Israel throughout Joshua, there's another word in there that God uses, that the word of God uses. And it's this word inheritance. It's, they're synonymous. Your promise is your inheritance and your inheritance is your promise. And we as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus, have a very specific inheritance from God. I'm going to read this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 to 14. It says this, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, he's talking to the Hebrews, the Jews, might be for the praise of his glory. And you, who are also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, everyone else. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee of your inheritance or a portion already of your further inheritance to come. The Bible describes it as a deposit or like an engagement ring where I've promised something to you and here now is the peace of the promise that guarantees that it will come. This is the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 now, it says, I pray, Paul, praying for you, for me, but specifically first the Ephesians. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The riches of his glorious inheritance. Paul says, I pray that your eyes and your heart are open to see everything that he has for you. And by the way, this inheritance is not unique to you. It's all of us. The scriptures say that Jesus is our inheritance, that he alone is our inheritance and that we are his inheritance, that we are promised to him. But furthermore, it's the presence of Jesus that's our inheritance. 
And the presence of Jesus literally is heaven. And heaven is the presence of Jesus. There's this old song that it says this, Israel Houghton, your presence is heaven to me. And so if we want to talk about the inheritance for all of us, I believe it looks like heaven. But if we have a guarantee and deposit of heaven, it looks like heaven on earth. That we have something that God has called us into here and now in this city, in your families, in your marriages, in your life, in your jobs, in your communities. It looks like heaven. The establishment of the presence of God in your lives wherever you go. That's your inheritance. That's my inheritance. And we get a picture of heaven in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 to 7. It's this beautiful uh, scripture. The last book of the Bible, by the way. And this man, John, he says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne in heaven saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen to this promise. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Verse 5, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. It's a guarantee. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. See, this is a picture of heaven in its fullness. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus came to establish this on earth. He started raising people from the dead. He started wiping their tears away. He, he was casting demons out and delivering people and bringing people into prosperity and beautiful things in your life. And Jesus said, greater works will you and I do because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, which means that we are partnering with God for the establishment of heaven on earth. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about this building right here when we worship. This is a taste, so we know exactly what it means to take it to our lives, to take it to culture, to take it to politics, to take it to family, to take it to our city and see the manifestation of heaven wherever we go. Yeah. This is what God has called us into. In Vancouver, as it is in heaven. What does it look like right now in your life? What is the promise of God right now in your marriage? In your life? In your purpose? In your job as you walk the street? The renewal, the revival of this city. What does that look like? God's taking the brokenness and redeeming it into something beautiful. What does this look like for you and me? And how can we play a part right now? And our team has put together this new pre-roll for you, but we wanted to show it to you right now. The vision of a city known by its future. Unburdened, bearing love's beautiful purpose. kneeling free beneath the name of Jesus. Scars and hope 
in healing harmony. Stories sung of our faithful one. A garden wild, in bloom, a song for tomorrow. Vast and known, every petal and stem by the spirit, stirring the silent to praise. The vision of a city growing from the palms of Almighty God. One body, the beating heart of a kingdom on its knees, the new rule. Mercy, patience, and strength. The vision of a home, human walls formed and fashioned by the hands that hung the stars. Eternity's architect setting also every soul in its perfect place. A church at home in the heart of the crucified king. Gathered around his life, blood washed and raised anew in hope everlasting. Living by the power of his presence, guided by his spirit. This is the vision of a family. A city of sisters and brothers, one to the next, hand to heart as peace washes like the tide on the shores of tomorrow. So does a family known by his name, love and lead. Together, in the hope of Christ, this is the vision for our city. Yeah, come on. If you're ever shy about saying amen in church, this is a moment where you can do that. Come on. Literally means you believe it. We believe that the Lord is taking us into place with a very specific and ever-evolving progressive vision for this city. That the Lord has it in his heart, but he's starting to share it with his people so that we can step out as individuals, not as a brand, not as a church institution, but the people of the church to bring about heaven on earth. Someone cares. Can't see your face, but whoever claps, praise God. Heaven is in the inheritance that we share. So when we talk about a vision for the city, this is a vision that we share in, that we participate in together, that the kingdom of God is here and it is still coming. Question, though, you guys know I love tension. The question, though, is then how does our individual promises over your family, over your life, over your health, over your mental health, over your, your um, work, over your career, or your progression, how is it that your individual promise fits in with the great promise of God? How is it that your individual inheritance fits within the inheritance of a church, the inheritance of the body of Christ. So the beauty of what we see in Joshua 24 is that Joshua's inheritance, the land that he rested in, was a part of the greater inheritance. That Joshua's inheritance was found within the inheritance of a nation. And so as believers, our individuality or individual promises from God are built upon the foundation of what we have in common. Should I say that again? In other words, my promise is found within our promise. The foundation for my individuality is what we have in common. Meaning there's something greater that God has than your fulfillment of your promise. And it's that we all step together into fulfillment of the promise. Okay? I don't know why I said okay there. I'm getting pumped up. 
But conversely, in society, it says this, our individuality is the foundation for what we have in common. That if we relate, like if we're cool, if we're down, if we get along, if we're like going the same way in life, then we can partner, then we can be in common. The context of what we read, the inheritance in Ephesians, Paul is talking to Jews and Gentiles. You were formerly enemies, but now we have this inheritance together. And so from this point on, we move together. You have to lay down what you thought about them and what you thought about them. It's not about your individuality anymore. It's about what we have together. It's the inheritance of heaven that we all have in common. And so society would also say this, that if my promises are at odds with yours, then we have competition. If you're running the same race as me, and it seems as if you're like a head up or, you know, if I'm behind a little bit, then I actually got to step on you to get over. Like there's a lot of competition. And so unless our promises are beneficial to each other, we can't really have that much in common. That's what society says. But God says what we have in common is actually the foundation of individuality. And so there's this phrase, this thought that we have in this world. I don't know if you've heard it before, but it says, don't miss the forest for the trees. You heard this before. It says this that if we focus on one little tree or one or two trees, we actually might end up missing the whole forest. We're so hyper focused on one little thing, we miss the big picture of what's happening. But if we focus on the forest, there's a guarantee that we'll get the tree. We major on the minor so often that we make our individual promises greater than the promise of ours together. That if I'm experiencing heaven, that's okay. That's all that matters. But what God says is this world needs to experience heaven. Or this other idea of a a puzzle. I'm supposed to bring a puzzle today to show you guys what a puzzle is. But I'm, I'm trusting that everyone in this room knows what a puzzle is. And we all have different pieces of the puzzle, right? We all have different promises. But we all have a place in the picture. We are all pieces, but if you're the piece of a puzzle, it's a guarantee that that puzzle piece has a place. If you have a piece, you know it has a place. The question is, where does it fit in the big picture? Your piece is necessary, but you have to reference the big picture to find its place. The more pieces we get in place, the easier it is for you to find yours. If you could usher this city, this church, your neighbors, your family into their inheritance, their piece of what God is doing, the easier it is for you to get your place. And if you don't know the promise of God in your life, start serving someone else's promise, what they're saying about what God's going to do, and there's no doubt that you're going to find your place. Because if if you are a child of God, You are a piece of the puzzle. And it's a guarantee that you have a place. You may not have just found it yet. But it's there and it's a guarantee. But this is the point, is that we major on the minors. I'm so worried about me not finding my place that I can't focus on anything else. That I'm so inverted, that I'm so um, in my own mind and in my own situation. This is a lot of where mental health issues come from. A lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, because we're so focused on my inadequacy compared to whatever everything else is happening. But if we understood that 
a win for them is a win for me, then we start to share in the promise together. We walk together towards what God is doing. Work on the big picture and you'll find the place for your peace. Focus on our inheritance and you'll find yours. Joshua ushered a nation into their promise first. And he was the last one to get his, it says in the scripture. But he died and he was buried in the land of his inheritance. The guys before didn't make it. There's another sermon for another day when it comes to Moses. But Joseph, it says that his bones were taken from Egypt and carried into the promised land to be buried there. The fulfillment of the promise of God in your life is a guarantee whether it happens in this life or the next. That we have eternity. And if you die outside what you think your promise is, there's somebody else that's going to carry you spiritually into the place that you belong. Because guess what? The promise of your life doesn't stop with you. And it didn't start with you. It's generations to come. So where Joseph, where the inheritance were given, it was for the, for, for the nations or for the, the birth of the people that would come afterwards. It's for the generations to follow. I'm claiming my territory so that the generations that come after can cultivate it and fulfill it and bring it in, into its potential. That I no longer live for me anymore. I live for me and my wife. I've laid down my individual promise for our promise. Now that we have sons, we have children, we've laid down our promise for their promise. And as we walk as a family into the promise of God, it's a guarantee that I'm going to get my inheritance, she's going to get hers, and our kids and their kids and their kids will get theirs. I took my eyes off me when I got married and I placed them on us. When we had children, I got our eyes off us and we placed them on them. And together we walk into the inheritance of God. Let's give ourselves to the big picture on what Jesus is doing. And it'll be the best thing we could ever do for ourselves. If you want any more evidence of this, look at Psalm chapter 16, verse 5 to 6. This is David, a man who sacrificed a lot. It says this, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. And you make my lot or my inheritance, the boundaries of it, Secure. Verse 6, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. What David is saying here is that I've chosen you alone as my focus, my pursuit, my pleasure in life. But as I survey everything around me, choosing you made my life amazing, beautiful. I look around and I say, wow, I kept my eyes on you, but where I've landed is the most beautiful place ever. Or Psalm 16, 5 to 6, same thing in the Passion Translation. Lord, I have chosen you alone as my inheritance. You are my prize. You are my pleasure. You are my portion. I leave my destiny and its timing in your hands. Your pleasant paths lead me to pleasant places. And I'm overwhelmed by the privileges that come with following you. You have given me the best. Ben, you can come back up. And so in the story of this church, and more particularly the story of my life, and the story of me and my wife, it goes this way. That self-interest told us not to do what we are doing. Not to lead, not to love, because it was going to cost us so much. 
It's going to require so much of us. It's going to put us in a place of ridicule. It's going to put us in a place of shame. It's going to put us in so many places that we did not want to be in the moment. But there's something that rose above all of that. And it was our love for Jesus and his love for us that if all of this is a mess, I still choose you, Jesus. I choose you alone as my inheritance, as my portion, as my cup. If I have you, then I have everything. All I need is you, nothing else. We just sang it. But as Sarah and I look at our lives right now and everything that the Lord has healed and processed and brought us into, we look around and we're like, oh my God, there's no way that I could have done this on my own. If I followed my own way in my own path and my own pursuit, I would not be experiencing the heaven that I experience in my life right now. I would not be married to my wife. Not because we would have gotten divorced, because we would have just never got married in the first place. I would not have the children that I have right now. I would not have the family or the community in you guys that I have right now. I would not be living where I live right now. The miracles that have lined up in my life because I chose with my wife to say yes to Jesus when it cost me everything has led me into places in my life where now I'm experiencing heaven in a way that I could have never before. In other words, the way to experience heaven in this city, on this earth, is through self-denial. To say no with the momentary temptation, the momentary uh, pleasures of life, and say yes to what Jesus is doing, and trust Him that He's going to take us into our piece of the inheritance as we pursue the inheritance of a nation. Does this make sense to you? God has a plan, an identity, and a purpose for this city and every single person that's walking in it. And by the way, that influence and that plan is to influence the world. And so when God gets this city, he gets the world. If we can say yes to what God is doing outside of our own context, I promise you by the word of God that he will lead you into the promise of your life. Thanks for listening to the Church Untitled podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on our latest messages. For more about what's happening in our community, follow us on social media or visit us at churchuntitled.com.